Tonight at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue down through our, our teaching through the Bible, and tonight's message is on the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's believed that Mark was one of the first written accounts, you know, of the life of Jesus. Tradition states that it was really scribed by John Mark, who was hanging out with the disciples. He wasn't a disciple himself, but he used to run with Peter, and later, as you read through the epistles, you see him show up in, in Paul's journeys as well. You know, So it's believed that this is kind of possibly maybe the Gospel of Peter, but Mark is the one that wrote it. Um, a lot of times we believe that the disciples, the original disciples, were really unlearned men. You know, they went to their father's trades, whether they're carpenters or fishermen. You know, so they didn't really have a high education. You know, so it's very likely that Peter was sharing with oral tradition, as they did in Jewish customs, to John Mark. You know, and he was the one that was writing these things down. Because we see then in church historian named Popius, he recalls that Mark collected all these eyewitness accounts or stories or memories of Peter. And he shaped them into the gospel that we read today as the gospel of Mark. So, you know, strategically, you know, Mark put this gospel together to carefully design this story of Jesus. But Mark starts this gospel out with one of his own, you know, opinions. And it says that in the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is really to believe, they believe that this is really the only thing that Mark penned in his own, you know, writing about his own opinion or his own belief. Everything else is either, you know, a story or something he's collected or influenced by Peter or some of the earlier eyewitnesses. <clears throat> you know, so Mark tells us the story, you know, of what Jesus has done through the rest of this book. He jumps in simply and says that Jesus, you know, works in his actions and in front of us and works miracles. You know, it's important for us that we read this with this question is, who is Jesus to us or to you? You know, something that really I believe that the Holy Spirit kind of was whispering to me before I ever really knew anything. And as I was picking up the Bible for the very first time, reading through the Gospel of John, you know, I had a really hard time with thinking that I was ever going to be a Christian because I did not want religion. I did not want to be one of those people. I didn't want to be one of those people that go to church. I didn't want anything to do with it. However, I was in such a broken place in my life but I've tried basically every other resource to find some sort of freedom in my mind and in my life from addictions and from depression and from craziness that went through my head on a regular basis that I found myself going to the last house on the block, and that was church, really, celebrate recovery. You know, and as I started to go to church and, you know, was influenced to read the Bible, you know, that I had to... to to do something that was very difficult and is difficult for some of us. And it's put everything that we think we know about Jesus or about church or about the gospel or about God or about the Bible and put all that stuff on the shelf 
and really ask ourselves this question is who's Jesus to me? Because when we answer that question, everything else changes. That if we just fall into line of what we think we know or what we've been taught and we go through the motions of church, it's just as empty as it was when we didn't like it the last time we did it. Make sense? However, when we start reading these pages, trying to figure out who Jesus is to me, not what somebody has told me who Jesus is, just because we know certain traditions or we know certain holidays and we know how to, to get gifts on Christmas and we hunt for eggs on Easter in Jesus' name, that when we start reading these words for the first time, there's a lot of stories in here that don't make a lot of sense and a lot of stories that don't get preached on a regular basis. And all of a sudden we start seeing this life of this man named Jesus in a completely different context. And what Mark is writing down through his perspective or through Peter's perspective is this life of Jesus. You know, and he tells this story about this man and what he did. You know, Mark uses scripture to start. He says, Behold, I have sent this messenger, and before you he will claim the way of the Lord. You know, and he starts with John the Baptist. You know, and what he's really referencing is stories out of Isaiah and Micah. You know, and that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of these prophecies. He's even the fulfillment of other prophecies saying that Elijah will come before him and that later on, Jesus says that John the Baptist was the, the new Elijah. You know, <clears throat> but Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. You know, and as John baptized Jesus, you know, there's a rumble in the heavens. And it, it said that God spoke and said that this is my son. Or this is my beloved son. You know, and the Galileans pronounce the good news that God's kingdom has come. You know, that Jesus was this new man on the scene. You know, there had been this dark period. You know, since, you know, the Old Testament, there's 400 years of God not really speaking, and there's just a lot of religion going on. You know, there's a lot of corruption in the temple and the, and the Pharisees, Sadducees. There's a lot of corruption in the Jewish leaders. The rich are taking advantage of the poor. You know, and God hadn't really moved in the way of a prophet or in the way that he had been prophesying in quite some time. So as, as John the Baptist is in the wilderness, you know, calling people to repent, and then Jesus kind of shows up and like, all of a sudden there's this commotion that things are moving in a different way. That Mark proclaims that Jesus is God and that he has come to fulfill his rescue operation to the world. That God is restoring his relationship with his people and how we will let him reign in our hearts by letting him confront the evil that dwells within us. That so often we go through the religious motions, but our heart isn't dealt with. But once we start really building this relationship with Jesus and getting into his word and spending time in prayer and spending time in worship, all of a sudden all these things that go on inside of us begin to be revealed. And sometimes we don't like what we see. 
know, it's easy for man to go through religious motions because then they're controlling God. You know, and this is how we play temple, or this is how we play church. And I, I just have to put on my nice clothes on Sunday, and I go and I please the wife, and I go and please whoever, and I go and find some sort of peace for myself for the sins that I've committed the rest of the week. And then I get out of church and I go back to life the way it was. And, you know, as long as I go to church on Sunday, at least I, I have reprieve. You know, God's okay with me because He knows I'm a sinner. And we all have all these excuses that we use to continue in the pattern of sin. But as we grow in this relationship with Jesus, He starts to deal with the matters of our heart. And it's a lot harder to reach for things when we know that God is right there whispering and saying, come to me instead. You know, Mark illustrates how Jesus is the Messiah, and he starts sharing these stories of Jesus and his power as the Son of God as he's healing the sick and broke and healing the broken and casting out people or casting out demons, the people that are under this, you know, demonic oppression. You know, that Jesus even would tell people that he could forgive sins, that your sins are forgiven. You know, and this would really upset the, the Jewish or the religious leaders. You know, because God was the only one with the power to forgive. However, some would follow Jesus and, and become his disciples, where others didn't know what to do. And on other levels that the religious leaders of the day were already getting really upset with who Jesus said he was. Some rejected him completely, especially these Israel's leaders who accused Jesus of blasphemy because he was empowered by the devil to be able to do the things that he was saying and doing. You know, Jesus wasn't surprised one bit as he was drawing all their attention because he knew, he knew what was going on in their hearts. And this is why Jesus teaches in parables. You know, many times that we read these parables and we're like, I don't get it. And there's other parables that all of a sudden it's like pops out. You know, and as Jesus taught in these parables, the people that were kind of trying to figure out who he really was, the message was getting through. And those that didn't want anything to do with Jesus, it was like mumbo jumbo to their ears. They couldn't understand what was going on. You know, and still to this day, you know, it says for us that the blind eyes open and they can see and the, and the deaf ears open and they can hear. And it doesn't necessarily mean that our eye is blind or our ear is deaf because we're spiritually blind and we're spiritually deaf. And when we come to know Jesus, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to take the scales off our eyes and, and unplug our ears. And all of a sudden it's like we heard it for the first time. You know, I remember going into Celebrate Recovery many, many years ago. I'm listening to the lady talk about Jesus. I grew up in the church. Like I knew the, you know, the mumbo jumbo. It was basically like Snoopy's teacher. Give us your money. Time to go home. Have some juice. You know, and that's how I grew up in church. You know, and some of you can relate and some of you maybe not, but. You know, the Presbyterian church, when I grew up, was very dry. It was exactly the same every week. I don't remember anything that was being preached. I just remember that at some point my grandfather would give me a dollar and I had to throw it in the bucket. And at the end of the day, I'd get some juice before I went home. 
And that was basically elementary in the senior high. And the first chance I had to not go to church and not piss off mom, I was gone. You know, and I ran from it. I didn't believe in it. I thought it was religion and, you know, all the, the good excuses that a good atheist would make up. So as I'm sitting there as a broken man listening to this woman talk about Jesus, it's like I heard it for the first time that Jesus was wanting to come into my life and heal my wounds and have this relationship with me and that he would forgive my sins no matter how many I've committed and no matter how bad they were, that all I had to do was ask him and that he loved me enough to set me free. And I sat there and I weeped because I'd never heard it before. And, you know, at that moment, my ears were opened up to hear the gospel for the first time. So as Jesus uses these parables to to talk about the kingdom of God, and and Jesus uses them to, to claim who he is, and he explains what's going on in the culture by using parables of the four soils. You know, that people's hearts are hardened, and people want certain things from Jesus, and Sometimes sin chokes out what God's trying to do because we won't let go of the world. And Sometimes that those seeds get planted next to that living water and we come alive for the first time. That he uses these people and these illustrations, the illustration of the mustard seed, that it's so small and insignificant, but it grows to be this amazing thing. That Jesus is the illustration of the mustard seed that... People would say he's insignificant. The Bible says that he was unrecognizable. And yet, through what he has done, that his ministry or through the power of the Holy Spirit has surrounded the entire world. That one man has influenced every aspect of this world. You know, he changed time. He changed the calendar. He changed holidays. He changed people's lives. He changed people's hearts. He's changed people's you know, belief system. He's changed kingdoms. He's changed worlds. He's changed countries. You know, and every day that there's a new person being born again into this kingdom, that he is truly our Messiah. You know, that he's making these claims of who he is and people couldn't see who he was. You know, that his kingdom is going to grow in our lives, in our family's lives, in our kids' lives, in our parents' lives, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. If we would allow him to be that mustard seed in our lives and begin to expand and change us to who he's called us to be. You know, he's going to bring confusion. You know, the the disciples didn't even get it. You know, they're walking with this guy, and he's doing all this stuff. You know, and they were still confused. They couldn't figure it out. You know, I think that, you know, now, you know, we could say that we we would get it. You know, if I could be a disciple, I could go back, and I would I would understand it. But I still think... You know, even though we have a Bible, even though we have a New Testament, even though we have basically the answers, if you were to even take a Bible with us, if we could go back in time and we would be able to be transported, 
transported into becoming one of the disciples, we still wouldn't get it. I think that it would just be so baffling to watch this guy take bread and fish and go, poof, here, have more. And be like, whoa. You know, and for him to, to rub mud in someone's eyes and spit in someone's face and then their eyes come open and be like, is that real? Like, is that a magic trick? You know, to watch him, you know, pick people up, you know, and have them walk, you know, and, and cast out demons and raise the dead. You know, I think part of our logical mind would be thinking, like, this is a parlor trick. Like, to see it. I think it would still be hard for us, even though we have the answers, to be like, how did that happen? We'd still be trying to figure it out, wouldn't you? I think I would. You know, I mean, today I'd say, oh, I would have faith. You know, Jesus, you know, he would be doing all this stuff. Yeah, I believe it. But I think if you're put in that circumstance and you're watching it, and all of a sudden someone's pouring a jug of water and it turns into wine, you'd be like, how do you do it? Like, what's the trick? You know, so I think that in Jesus' humanity, the disciples are just watching this normal guy live out his life. Now, yeah, he's not a normal guy. But for them, they didn't really see that he was the Messiah the way that he is the Messiah. You know, even though that they were following him, they still had their preconceived ideas of what the Messiah would do and who he would really be. You know, so as Jesus is teaching about, you know, the Messiah, people weren't really sure what that meant. Because they would think a completely different thing. So when Jesus asked them, who do you think I am? And I think that that's a very relevant question for us today that each one of us has to kind of answer at some point, is who do I think Jesus really is? Oh, he's he's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Because we've been trained with those answers. But if we really claimed those things, it would completely change the way we live. So when Jesus asked the disciples, well, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up, well, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. Because he had a preconceived idea. See, some believe that Peter thought that Jesus was going to raise up as this victorious military leader, and he was going to overthrow the Roman government. So when Jesus began to speak of him going to die and that he was going to suffer, this is why Peter said, don't talk like that, Jesus. And Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Because if Peter really understood that he was the Messiah, and he understood Old Testament prophecies, that he would realize that he needed to come and die. But see, Peter and some of the other disciples didn't quite get it. You know, some of them were trying to get power that didn't belong to them, and they wanted to be at God's right or Jesus' right hand. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking. You know, that some believe, you know, that because that Jesus had to go and die and that Peter was trying to, to, to get Jesus not to speak death over his life, right? You know, that name it and claim it. You know, don't speak those things over yourself. But 
Jesus was talking about that he needs to suffer and die. So if anybody needed to not speak death over himself, it was Jesus, right? And yet there's times that we're just being realistic about what's going on in our life, and some super Christian comes along and tells us that we shouldn't be saying that, or you don't have enough faith. If anybody didn't have enough faith, and Jesus is claiming this, and he's, Peter's telling them that, Jesus, you don't have enough faith. You shouldn't be saying that. Like, um, Jesus is like, shut up, get behind me. You know, you know, and there's a piece to the puzzle here. You know, there's times that we're going through life and that we have opposition and that we are going to suffer because that's life. You know, we talk about life on life's terms. But there's times that we're going through things and we're, we're just speaking reality and someone will say, well, don't say that. You know, name it and claim it, you know. And I per- kind of really hate some of that stuff. But yet we need to pray and have faith. However, when I'm going through something and I really feel like the enemy is opposing me, you know, there's times that I'll say, Satan, get behind me. But usually it has something to do with a severe temptation or an addiction or some area of my life that's trying to creep back in or pull me down again. You know, and I'm really looking at it and like, no, devil, we're not doing this. You guys understand what I'm talking about? So if I was to say, Satan, get behind me, and I put Satan behind me. If I'm not following Jesus, I don't move. All I did was take Satan from here and put him there. He still has the ability to whisper in my ear. I just changed his location. So if I'm not moving to follow Jesus and leaving the devil in my dust, the devil has just as much influence whether he's in front of me or behind me. It doesn't really matter because he's still whispering really loud. Does that make sense? So I not only need to put Satan behind me, I need to follow Jesus so I'm leaving Satan behind me. Like, far behind me. You know, and I think that this is an important piece to our puzzle practically, that when I'm trying to overcome a G, or overcome addictions, what's Jesus asking me to do? Because a lot of times we've tried to abstain. It doesn't really work real well, does it? You know, because we're proud and, you know, we're arrogant and we can resist for a minute. But at some point, we get tired, and the devil waits for that opportune time, and he hands us back something that we don't want, and we take it. And then the shame comes back, because we're right back in the same circle and cycle all over again. See, I spent a lot of time trying to get sober, and couldn't achieve it. Why couldn't I achieve it? Because my focus was more about abstaining and resisting than it was pursuing this relationship with God. Now, I heard it in the in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. God could and would if he were sought. Relieve me from the state of hopeless mind and body. But then I just, well, I believe in God, and that was enough. That's not enough. For me to have a relationship, that means there's action involved. You know, the one thing that I, I really took heart in that statement is God could and would if he were sought. Now sought's not a word that we would normally, you know, use. But I know what it means to go look for drugs, alcohol, sin, porn, relationship. You know, and I've let those things drive me to chase, to go after, 
to sought after sin. I understand that principle. But when it comes to Jesus, I just go to church. Like, that's not the same. You know, like, there has to be action involved in my seeking of God. And as I seek God, and I try to understand God, I run into Jesus. And through that, I develop this relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden, my heart begins to be transformed, that I'm born again. That from the inside out, all of a sudden, I no longer desire certain sins the way I used to because there's a heart transformation that took place. It's not an abstinence or a resistance. There's a healing, a spiritual healing that took place in each and every one of us so that it wasn't so much resisting, although we do resist temptation, but it's not this abstinence white knuckling that I have no desire to do those things anymore because I have this desire to grow a God. I have this desire to build this relationship with Jesus. See, and so often we're trying to resist, but there isn't a new pursuit. And if there isn't a new pursuit, we're just sitting still and we said, devil, get behind me and I'm abstaining, but I'm not moving towards something new. There is no distance between me and him or me and it. Me and a substance, me and addiction, me and whatever it is that's been pulling me down because I need a new pursuit. Because I chased sin, didn't we? 24-7, I chased sin as much as I possibly could. And I need to take that same tenacity and give it to a new pursuit. And as I began to pursue Jesus, all of a sudden drugs and alcohol just drifted away. And I had no desire to do those things anymore because there was a trans, you know, this thing trans, uh, transformed in front of me that I was seeking drugs and alcohol to handle my pain, but now I have Jesus to handle my pain and he does a way better job. Where drugs and alcohol and sex, even food, I'm using to cover something up and Jesus digs it up and he takes it and he transforms me, he transforms us. And he renews our mind and he heals our heart. You know, is the enemy going to try to hand something back to us that we have freedom over? Absolutely. Because he wants to bring us back into bondage. But where once when somebody would come across and try to hand me some sort of sin or, or tempt me in some sort of way, I would be like, oh my God, because I wanted it. I wanted to do it, but now I'm trying to resist it. Now if the enemy tries to come and hand me something, I'm like, not today, Satan. I don't want anything that you're offering me because Jesus has done such a work in me that why would I give up something completely better for something so much worse? Where before, we're just trying to resist and hang on and it's not getting better. So when the enemy tries to hand me back something, it's like, well, at least I get a little bit of pleasure because this sucks. Make sense? But when we pursue Jesus, our life gets so much better. So when the enemy tries to hand us back something, no, no, no. I don't want anything to do with that. You know, I have friends that still party. I'm like, oh, Tom, it's football season. Don't you want a beer? I'm like, absolutely not. Don't you miss it? Not at all. Oh, marijuana's going to be legal soon. You're going to smoke it? No. Why? You know, you can get away with it. I don't want it. Why? Because it's going to cloud my mind and begin to, you know, you know, callous my heart. And I know that I'm not going to stop there. 
I'm going to go to the extremes. Because once I open that door, I've proven to myself a hundred times over that I won't take one step or one puff. I'm going to be smoking and puffing and running and gunning and doing this and doing that. And next thing you know, my life's completely destroyed over something what? That Jesus has already set me free of? I would much rather have this deep personal relationship with Jesus and struggle and have bad days than allow that stuff back into my life. Why? Because there's been healing inside. And those of us that have had this healing inside know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you that are still struggling in this, just keep coming. You have to figure out who Jesus is to you, not go through the motions of religion. If you're going through the motions of religion, you're getting real tired, you're getting real frustrated, you don't understand it, other people look happy, you're miserable. Does this make sense? Something's, something's different. Why? Because I can go through the same motions, but the, the heart matter is different. Because instead of just resisting, I'm pursuing. If I'm not pursuing, most likely I'm headed back to where I came from. You know, that, that Jesus is claiming that there is this other way to handle reality. And people don't quite get it. You know, he continues to tell these stories of how he's going to suffer. And the disciples don't get it. And his, you know, people around him don't get it. So much so, he's like, if you don't want to follow me, go ahead and leave. And then there's the 72 disciples. Is like, peace out, Jesus. I don't get this. You know, I thought you were going to be this mighty warrior. Now you're telling us that you're going to die and we're going to have to die too. Like, I didn't sign up for all that. <laughs> Like, I thought we were going to get rich. Go, Jesus. You know, like, let's overthrow Rome. I hate Rome. Rome sucks. I want my money back. You know, like, you know, they had this different, this different view of what Jesus' kingdom would be. And when he was telling them that I'm going to have to lay down my life and die, and you are too, they're like, come out. Go Rome. <laughs> you know, back on Team Pilot. You know what I mean? Like, But Jesus is telling the story of this suffering king that we see in Isaiah 53, who would bring forth God's rule through suffering. And when Peter tells him not to speak of this, you know, Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. Because they thought that Jesus' kingdom was going to bring them fame and status and riches. And Jesus makes it clear that following him is like dying that you may have to carry your own cross. And I see Christians today struggle with the same thing. I have Jesus. I prayed. I should get that new job. Why don't I have that car? Why don't I have the relationship I want? I struggled with it too. Because we have this, oh, if you pray for anything in Jesus' name, then he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, the desires of my heart are pretty still wicked. And Jesus isn't going to hand me something that's sin-related. You know, Jesus, I would like to be the next Hugh Hefner. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> that's not that's not a prayer that it's ever going to get answered. Jesus, if I win the lottery, I will be generous. No. Nah, I don't think that's a thing. Now, does, is there somebody out there that won the lottery and they prayed? Sure. 
the likelihood that anybody in this room is going to win the lottery because we prayed, probably not real high. But a dollar and a dream, you never know. Bill's already praying. (laughs) Who doesn't want to have money in their pocket? Who doesn't want to go through life without struggle? That's That's a normal human thing. However, with Jesus, we should be able to walk through whatever it is is before us with a certain amount of grace because we have the same power that, that rose Christ from the grave dwelling within us. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to live life poor. I think if you work for anything hard enough, you know, that you will have the fruit of your labors. However, a lot of times we expect Jesus to put more work into this than we are willing to put work in it. You know, and, you know, we expect to just sit around and God's going to give us money or God's going to give us a new job. Like, no, you have to get on the internet and put in job applications if you want a new job. That's like a thing. You can pray for those jobs and God can open up certain doors, but if, I'm pretty sure that no one's shown up to my house offering some of my guys that live with me jobs that didn't put in an application. Now, it has happened that God opens up doors, you know, Guy had a job before he ever put in a job application. Chum had a job ever before he ever put in a job application. Bill was asking for a different go- a job, and he ended up getting a job in a place that he didn't even know he applied for. <laughs> you know, God opened up a door, and I pointed him in the right direction. And he's like, how did that even happen? God can do all sorts of things. But there's something always moving in the midst of it. Make sense? You know... You know, I love what, you know, Big Book Brian says, is you can't lock yourself in a closet and expect God to feed you hot dogs through the keyhole. I absolutely believe that. Like, God doesn't provide in that way. There's work involved. However, I have watched God bless me and people around me in ways, but usually it's for something. It's not to be blessed. It's for us to be a blessing to someone else. You know, and God is always moving in these ways to help be a blessing. So He uses people that have means to help those that don't. That happens all over the world. However, if I'm expecting it, and when I don't get it, I get mad, there's an issue in my heart. You know, and God wants to deal with me and it on a deeper level. You know, he is showing us as he's rejecting the world and, and the things that the enemy is trying to ha- hand him and, you know, turn this, you know, bread in, or bread, these stones into bread and, you know, take forth this kingdom and jump off the temple and, you know, you know, you can be rich, Jesus. Jesus is like, that's not my kingdom. You know, I came to walk with the poor. I came to walk with the sick. I came to walk with a notorious sinner. I came to those that know they need a doctor. You know, and it says, blessed are those who are poor at heart. You know, is that a financial poor? Eh, I don't necessarily think that. I think for those of us that know that we're broken and we need help, Jesus shows right up. You know, but even as Jesus is continuing to explain this stuff to him, the disciples just didn't get it. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of fear. You know, you know, at the 
you know, as this continues, you know, Jesus ends, you know, starts his public ministry necessarily. You know, he enters into Jerusalem riding on this donkey. You know, and everyone's hailing him, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, that he is the Messiah, that he is the king. Praise God, praise God. And Jesus goes straight to the temple. You know, and he walks in the door and he starts flipping tables. You know, and he's, you know, he's pushing people out. He's yelling at people. He's throwing people out. You know, he's like, this is my father's house. You've made it into a den of thieves. Like, a second ago, everyone's real happy with Jesus. And now because he's attacking their money, not so much. You know, and from there, we watch him as he takes on his royal authority at this point. After he's chasing out, you know, people out of the temple, he turns right to, you know, the religious leaders, you know, and he starts condemning them for their hypocrisy. You know, whitewashed tombs, Dennis Eve, you know, he's like, you're a hypocrite, you're a viper, you know, you're a whitewashed tomb. Like, that's not real, you know, happy thoughts, Jesus. You know, we're supposed to, you know, be happy. My, my Jesus is a gentleman. Like, I hate it when people say that. What would Jesus do? Jesus might whip you. I mean, it's in the it's in scripture. You know, anytime I see somebody put that WWJD, I find that meme where Jesus is flipping table whipping people, and I post it every single time. What would Jesus do? He might do that. He might just do that. But he's going to these religious leaders. He's setting in motion his plan. You know, he knew that he needed to die. He knew that how he was going to die. He knew when he was going to die. That Jesus predicted his own downfall and his own destruction. But as he's doing it, he predicts the downfall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. You know, the disciples still didn't get it. You know, he told the disciples that you might be persecuted just like me. And all this leads up to Jesus' final night. You know, as he's having this last Passover meal that we would know as the Last Supper. You know, Jesus tells this story, you know, of Israel's liberation through slavery. You know, as the death angel had passed and the Passover lamb set the, the slaves free once before, that Jesus is now this symbol giving a new meaning that he will give liberation from sin and death. You know, which happens because of his death and his suffering, you know, as the servant Messiah. From here, the story rushes forward as Jesus is arrested in his trial from the the priest and the governor Pilate, all resulting in Jesus' crucifixion. You know, as darkness fell that day, you know, there was an earthquake. You know, and the, the sky got so dark that it was hard to see. You know, as Jesus hung there on the cross, you know, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? You know, as Jesus is breathing his last breath, the curtain in the temple rips from top to bottom. Now, the temple was the separation between the main room and then the Holy of Holies where God's presence hung out. And the symbol is Jesus is dying and the, the curtain is ripped that God is saying now that my presence is available for everyone. You know, and that temple was destroyed and that curtain was ripped and 
Jesus died on that very day, that it was a Roman soldier, a centurion, he was so overwhelmed with what was taking place as he's watching Jesus die, he declares, he is the first one to declare that Jesus was the Son of God. So it's not even a Jew, it's a Gentile. Is really Jesus' first convert after the crucifixion because he was so overwhelmed with what was taking place that he could see the signs so clearly. But the reason that Jesus said that, God, why are you forsaking me? Is because at that moment, all of sin, all time, past, present, future, Jesus was consuming it, that he paid for it. And at that moment, it was so overwhelming what he was taking on, the darkness of this world, the pain of sin and death, that it's the first time that he felt this separation between him and the Father. You know, I believe that everyone's saved. However, they have to surrender their knee. That if we don't accept that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he paid for my sins, then I'm not saved. However, every atheist, every Muslim, every Buddhist, every Hindu, everyone on this planet is forgiven, but they have to ask for it. Because that's what I read. You know, that everyone has access to him. That just because I was an atheist, he still came and got me. Like, I shouldn't be saved, according to some religious people. Most of us in this room shouldn't be saved, considering the way we used to sin, right? That if it's about behaving, we're screwed. I'm not a good behavior. How about you guys? If it's about following the rules, we're, we're screwed. We're not good rule followers. However, when we allow Jesus in, and technically he starts knocking on the door before we, it's not anything that we set in motion. He kind of sets it in motion before. That when he gets in there, the things that people were trying to make us do before, it just becomes so easily and so natural because I have no desire to do those things anymore. You know, that this man stood there overwhelmed at what he was experiencing as he was watching Jesus die. But after his death, you know, they, they quick and they placed him in the tomb. You know, and, and on the third day, two women came to visit him and the stone was rolled away and this angelic form was there and said that Jesus ain't here no more. You know, he has been resurrected, that he is alive. And go and tell everybody. And they took off, completely afraid. And they didn't tell a soul. End of the book of Mark. Now later on, you know, they've added some scripture to, you know, and you'll see it in the context and there's a brief, you know, an asterisk and say this has been added and we believe that this was here and some say that this was added and some say it's not credible and this Bible will fight against that Bible and this believer will fight against that believer because of, I don't know. You know, I take a stance like Joe that all scripture has been inspired. You know, but yet sometimes we can get out of bounds with that too. I believe that there is a response when we have a, 
this interaction with a risen Christ. When we go to church or we have this dead Jesus that still hangs on the cross, that we're kind of still dead in our sins. But when we have this experience with a risen Christ that's been resurrected for my sin and your sin and that he's paid the price for sin and death and we've become alive in Christ, there's a response that takes place. That I can't keep sinning the way that I've always been sinning because it's not comfortable for me to no longer live that way. Now, that doesn't mean that I might have a slip here and there, but I can't stay stuck. You know, every once in a while I'm thinking that the grass is greener on the other side and I dabble with it and I'm like, I don't like the way this feels. And we've all done it. You know, just because we have Jesus doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. You know, that we're going to struggle, we're going to suffer, we're going to say that sin's going to be fun today. And then we're like, no, that wasn't fun. I wish I didn't do that. And now I feel like I'm a bad boy and I'm not saved anymore and the condemnation comes real hard. We've all had that moment. What, what do we do with it? We go back to Scripture and we believe what is written, that He is faithful and just to forgive anyone who repents of their sins, that all unrighteousness is lifted. First John 1 John 1.9 That there is no condemnation in Christ, that the blood of Jesus has washed away all sin, Romans 8. That nothing can separate us from His love, Romans 8 again. And that we have to go back to Scripture no matter what we're feeling and say, this is what the Word of God says. This is what I'm going to believe over the way I feel. Because if I live by my emotions, where do I end up? Continuing to go in the wrong direction. And this is why it's so important for us to have a relationship with Jesus, to spend time in our Word, to have a prayer life, and to spend time in worship. Because when the days get hard, and they will, what do we do? Do we go to church on Sunday and hope for the best? No, we have to pursue, we have to seek after, we have to sought after God the way, same way that we chase sin. And we were relentless with chasing sin, weren't we? And when we wanted to feel a different way, we did whatever it took on that given moment, that a given day, to make the way we felt, the way we feel, change. And there's days that we have to do that, but instead of pursuing sin, we're pursuing Jesus. And sometimes it may take a minute. You know, it's not instant gratification like some of the sins that we indulge in. Like I can take one sip or one puff and I instantly feel different. That doesn't mean I feel better. But if I'm pursuing Jesus and that peace comes, that presence of God comes, there's nothing that, that matches that. So no matter where we're at, no matter what we're struggling with, we have to go back to Scripture and realize that we serve a risen Christ. We don't serve a dead Christ. So you just bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. I I thank you that we're growing in our understanding of who you are. Lord, I pray that each one of us grows in our understanding of Scripture, that we grow in our understanding that you love us, that we can talk to you, that if we get rid of the distractions in our lives, Lord, we begin to hear you. Lord, that your presence isn't in a facility. Your presence is available no matter where we are, whether we're in our car, whether we're in our room, whether we're walking down the road, whether we're at work. Lord, that we can say, God, we need you, and we open ourselves up to you, and all of a sudden, things begin to shift. Things begin to change. 
Lord, help us to realize that even when we go through difficult times, it does not mean that you're not for us. Lord, that you went through the most suffering that anyone could ever experience, Lord. I pray that we can draw strength from that and realize that no matter what we face, that we can walk through it with you. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us has a renewing in our mind according to the word of God. Lord, that each one of us grows in our understanding of who you are. We just thank you so much for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Many, many, many.